You're listening to Music Ed. I'm Samson Trin. In this episode of Music Ed, we will continue with part three of my graduate studies project titled The Educational Processes of Independent Authors in Elementary General Music Education. Our guest today is Bethany Johnson, an elementary general music teacher from Loudoun County Public Schools in Virginia who represents a generation of educators who share new and innovative lessons utilizing technology and social media. In the interview, Bethany talks about her process to lesson plan and video edit her online resources. We also shared our favorite lessons published by author and music educator, Dr. Artie Almeida. This interview was conducted on June 16th, 2020. you to interview is because you represent a generation of educators who uh, share new and innovative innovative lessons uh, utilizing technology and uh, social media, which I view as essentially publishing your content oh. online. Um, technically, I, that's how I view it. I mean, I'll take it. And, and uh, I can also see you writing and selling music resources in the future. Oh, uh, so, so, cool. so let's start with where did you grow up and who were your early musical influences? This can be artists and music educators that uh, changed your life. Okay. So as you know, I grew up in Richmond and was there for my entire life up until college, specifically Henrico County that entire time. And in all honesty, I don't remember music in elementary school at all. (laughs) Um, That wasn't really the place where I realized I had a talent for music. That didn't start until middle school, which is when I joined band because my mom was in band. And so I thought it'd be fun. And I picked up the flute and um, I did not take private lessons, although some people are very serious about that. I was self-taught on flute and it just clicked for me and I loved flute and it kind of became my life from there. But the first person specifically who really had a huge influence on me was my band director in high school. Because in middle school, I I guess I didn't really realize that I had a talent for music. I just thought that I liked it. But my high school band director saw um, a special talent in me, I guess. And he really, really encouraged me a lot to expand that skill and learn new instruments and join ensembles that I probably wouldn't have thought to join in the first place. And so he is absolutely the biggest influencer for me because I don't think I would be teaching music if he hadn't really pushed me to get better at my instrument. Um, And then there are a couple other things that pushed me in the music ed direction and they all happened pretty fast, but you actually know I was in Spark in Richmond, which is, a performing arts school and program. And there I really expanded more on 
improv with you, actually. <laughs> that was the first time I kind of did jazz and <laughs> improv. Yeah. That was my first yeah. exposure to that and seeing that I can use music outside of just band ensembles. And also I saw it have a powerful impact on a lot of children and people with disabilities and the community really was involved in that program. And that's when I was like, wow, music is really cool. And it's not just a hobby anymore. This is my life at this point. So I would say Spark and my band director were the two absolute biggest influences. And what was your band director's name? And I know he passed away roughly a year ago, right? Yeah, his name was Leon Amon at Godwin High School, and he did pass away last year, um, which was a total shock to me. Mm -hmm. But I did get to see him many times after I graduated, so I still got to check in with him a lot of times before he passed away. And he continued to be an influence even after I graduated high school because he was always inviting me back and asking me to help out with the program and trying to get me to apply for jobs, <laughs> all that good stuff. <laughs> nice. So I know you played flute, but what um, other doubles did you play? Um, I, I, I think you were in a drum line as well, but like what other instruments did you explore? Well, <laughs> kind of a lot. In high school, I started on flute, of course, and that's still my biggest instrument. I played saxophone for one season in marching band, but also a double on it in pit orchestra if they needed me to. Um, I was on drum line for a few seasons and played bass drum, which was absolutely the best thing I did in high school. I loved drum line so much. Um, and then in college, I picked up bassoon and doubled on that as well. What influenced you to teach elementary school music? And when did you start working for, is it Loudoun County Public Schools? And uh, did you first picture yourself as a middle or high school band director previously before you chose general music? Okay, I think I'm a little unique on this compared to a lot of people I went to college with. But mm -hmm. originally... I did not even think I was going to be a music teacher. I went through a lot of ups and downs with my career as any kid does, I guess. I thought I was going to be a veterinarian for the first like 14 years of my life. Um, turns out I'm not good at math and I probably just like dogs a lot and didn't need to be a veterinarian. But I went through <laughs> a little like 14 year old life crisis then. Yeah. As we all do, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then I realized that I always loved envisioning myself as a teacher. And I don't know why I'd ignored that for a long time. But I started to think, oh, actually, I can see myself being a teacher way more than a veterinarian. So yeah. I joined the Teachers for Tomorrow program in my high school, about halfway through high school, I think it was my junior year. And that was a very cool program because I basically interned at local elementary schools during the school day. I would just drive to an elementary school down the street and assist in the classroom. And I loved doing that. And then one day I was like, you know, just for fun, I'm going to go to a music classroom and do a quarter in a music classroom. Yeah. Not even thinking that I was going to be a music teacher, 
And then I went to shadow that teacher on the first day she was preparing their program for second grade or something. And I sat in the audience and I got really emotional just watching it happening. And I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Music is literally like 99% of my life. I don't know why I've never considered this before. And I completely changed everything. I'd already applied to college at that point and mm-hmm. and declared myself as an education major. And I had to call the school and say, wait, can I be a music ed major instead? And they were like, <laughs> you didn't audition. Um, but OK, so they set up a special audition for me and everything. And it was very last second, but it was definitely the right decision. I don't know why I never thought about it before. Um, but I never once thought I would teach middle or high school. And most of my peers in college wanted to teach high school. And I had absolutely zero interest in it. I've always wanted to teach elementary school. It's just so playful. And the kids are really happy. And there's a lot of freedom for creativity. And I love band, but I like being in it and not directing it, I guess. What is the name of your elementary school in Loudoun? I work at Liberty Elementary School. Awesome. Uh, before we get into geeking out on RDL Media, uh, Almeida, I'm sorry. I'm curious if uh, the instructors from your undergraduate um, s- studies presented various published general music resources like K8 Magazine, Music Express, and Artie's Lessons, or did you discover them yourself during your first year of teaching? If I'm being totally honest... My college was not expecting very many instrumental people to Mm -hmm. want to be general music teachers. And if I had been on the choral track, then I would have had more general music exposure, but I was on the instrumental track. So I pretty much did all of the research on my own time um, and learned about those kinds of resources by observing local elementary school teachers and not so much from school. But if I'd been on the vocal track, there would have probably been more information about that. That's interesting, because at VCU for my undergrad, um, they had both uh, choral and instrumental peeps in the same room. But um, a lot of my colleagues and I talk about how they never really... Not they, yeah, they really never presented us with the resources right. like a music K eight or a, yes. or a Greg and Steve CD, which right. is like um, kind of baffles my mind. Where I'm sure other universities do that, but it was just for me, it was all through my friends and colleagues saying you should check this out and check. That. I was like, man, why? How come that they never? I think that's <laughs> yeah. common, yeah, and. Elementary school music can seem really abstract to a lot of people because it's not cut and paste rehearsals. So, mm-hmm. I I mean, it's kind of hard to prepare people for elementary school. And I don't even know what I would tell some people in college if they had no clue what general music was like. <laughs> it's different. <laughs> Do you purchase lessons created by independent educators from teachers paid teachers and what other music resources have you experimented with and continue to use i am all over the internet all the time when it comes to lessons it's just there's endless resources online and if there's one thing 
you should know about me. I am very cheap and I never buy <laughs> anything. <laughs> if I don't have to spend money, I am not going to. So even though I know there's an abundance of stuff on Teachers Pay Teachers, I don't really venture on there very often. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have gotten some re- free things from there, but I think the majority of my resources come from blogs that I I read on and Instagram. People are so generous sharing lesson ideas, at least on Instagram, that I can replicate in my own room. And mm-hmm. I get a lot of inspiration from those people. I guess hard copy resources wise, Music K8 is a, a big one and my county pays for that. So that is lucky. Um, I have game plan already purchased in my school and oh, nice. I love nice. game plan for the young kids. Not so much for the older kids, but the young kids, it's really good. And I've purchased a few things here and there at conferences, but for the most part, Instagram and blogs are the way to go. <laughs> I'm going to get into that in a bit too. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, game plan solid. I, I know I experimented a lot with um, uh, with the kindergarten um, booklet, and I kind of did the first and second grade one, but I always go back to the kindergarten one. I should be more disciplined about the other ones as well, because, yeah, when uh, several friends told me about that, they were like, you yeah, know, it's great, because, you know, here's week 70, you know, whatever. But uh, <laughs> October 15th, <laughs> this is what you're yeah. doing. Kindergarten one is definitely the best one. First grade I use, second grade I I pull things from it. After that, it's not as interesting to me because I feel like it was written for a third, fourth, and fifth graders in like the 90s and not now. Mm-hmm. But um, it's more of a supplementary thing for me anyway. I'm like, I can't think of something to do in the last 10 minutes of class. What's game plan <laughs> yeah. saying today? I believe you told me that you teach an average of 50 students per class period. (laughs) How many class periods do you have per day and how do you and your co-teacher manage the creativity and structure of instructing music to so many children? (laughs) Well, yes, it is. (laughs) Yes. It is a unique situation. (laughs) Definitely never heard of, this arrangement until I applied to this county. It's actually very common in Loudoun to do what I do, but I've never heard it anywhere else. Um, So yes, I have a co-teacher and that permits us to have two classes in the room at once because there's only one music room in the school. So the other option would be to be on the cart um, while the other person's in the music room and Mm -hmm we would both rather use the music room. So we have 50 kids approximately, usually more than that, but 50 about in the room at once. And we both lead from the front of the room. And it's kind of like a natural exchange. We don't plan who's going to lead. It just kind of happens. And that just comes from us understanding each other. So there's a good communication there. It definitely is challenging. I will not hide that. There are times when we just can't do certain lessons because we don't have the supplies or it would just be absolutely chaotic to have 50 kids doing an activity versus 25. Um, 
But we don't know anything different because we both started teaching at the same time. So this is the only style of classroom we've ever had. And um, yeah, there's just a lot of groupings where one set of kids are instruments while the other set is doing something else. And then they alternate. Um, And also the kids are paired together in all of their other specials as well. So they're used to it which definitely helps. But yeah, it's it's a limited space situation, but luckily our school is very supportive and we have a lot of instruments and supplies, so we make it work as best as we can. In an article published by Journal of Music, Technology and Education, Kraus and Veblen state that YouTube has become a cultural force that alters how Individuals interact with one another online and offline and will continue to be the catalyst for social, educational, and musical change. Also, author uh, Lowndes um, acknowledges that the rise of the Internet has facilitated the creation of global networked do-it-yourself communities and provide uh, provided the means to share information and resources rap- rapidly without cost. Um I observe that you and many creative young music educators have shared your lessons, classroom environment, and school performances on Instagram stories and videos. Um, I know that I know the videos have influenced me because I've asked you to share information on um, like the game Staff Wars and your Hill and Gully Rider lesson plan. Uh, what gave you that spark and inspiration to post? your classroom experiences and do you think that it's um and I'm I'm not using this in a negative sense because uh Corey Wong has been in, has been referred to this from um from uh Wolfpack where you know do you think it's a millennial thing where uh they're just more adapt and this is what they're used to when you know presenting lessons online Well yeah I I started on Instagram literally the first week of school my first year and it was kind of um in a way like a a plea for help when I joined oh okay yeah yeah. (laughs) that makes sense because I even though I felt like I prepared myself as much as I could to teach it was so many kids at once um and I'd never done it before so I was like how do you plan for this many kids every single day and like you said, I I didn't really know what the resources were yet. So I just wanted to have as many resources as possible right in front of me. Plus, I'm somebody who prepares and researches everything as intensely as I can before I do yeah. it. So mm-hmm. it, it fits my personality to be doing that. But I never imagined that it would become such an influence over my teaching I thought I was just going to find a few music teachers on Instagram. I had no idea there was a giant community of music (laughs) teachers and people who I talk to now on a regular basis and share ideas with. But it kind of became a community for me and definitely the place where I find the most inspiring ideas. Probably... Part of it, too, is just that you have a realer connection with these teachers because they're opening up part of their lives to you instead of you just reading straight off of a game plan book. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that originally it was a plea for help, but then it, it became a community for me. And 
I loved seeing what other people were doing. So I wanted to share what I was doing in case that could be helpful to somebody else who had been in my position before. And then I started posting on YouTube not long ago at all, like maybe a month ago. And that was purely because of this whole pandemic situation. I started posting some of my activities on Instagram like I normally do. But these were my quarantine lessons. And suddenly so many people were like, can I please use your lesson somehow? Yeah. I think that stems from, like you said, not everybody has been trained with technology their entire lives. People my age have had at least most of their lives have been using the Internet. So Mm -hmm. I'm used to doing stuff like that. And not everybody knows how to create content from a distance. Yeah. If it's easy for me, then I want to share it for somebody who is not as used to it. It's it's so funny. I feel like I'm the in-between of uh, the youth and the older generation, because I'm sure as you uh, experienced, um, I'm sure a majority of your um, experienced teachers were just freaking out <laughs> over like, I yes. don't know what to do. I don't know. What, what, what am I supposed to do with, with this technology? Right. right here? It's like, yeah. <laughs> well, plus I definitely from somebody who grew up with internet, I I'm on the cusp of that age where internet was not really that common. Cause at least when I was in elementary school, not everybody had internet. Not everyone even had a computer. You just had a giant thing in your living room that everybody in your family shared But then when I was in late middle school, high school, they Mm -hmm. started making smartphones. And that's the time in my life when I was most ready to learn how to use something like that anyway. So I've kind of grown up with it, at least in the older part of my childhood. But um, I had this opposite experience where I was like, when I started teaching, I couldn't imagine how older teachers found resources without the internet. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) what did you use? Did you just have like written books that you bought from the bookstore? And that was the only resource because I use the internet way more than anything I've purchased. I think, you know, when I worked in the County, especially Henrico County, they were Rick Tinsley at the time was really good at congregating, um, the elementary school teachers at least, I think, six times a year. And we had our share sessions. And I think that's what they did for, and continue to do, but that's what they did for eons. And most of the share sessions were Music K-8 stuff. It's like, here's what I did with Music K-8. Here's what I did with it. And that, 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 I think that, that's when I was a bit jaded and a bit, um, <laughs> the 20s Sam's and Trin was a bit, egotistical going like we can do something else but music k8 but i honestly i mean i i i'm one of those people right now that i was like what's what does music k8 have right now (laughs) yeah so uh, do you have any um you down to share some lessons yeah and i realized before i show you any videos i didn't also totally answer your question earlier about how many kids i teach Oh, yeah. (laughs) I I realize I didn't fully answer that. I do teach 50 at a time about sometimes more, sometimes less. But I also, at maximum, can teach up to 10 classes a day. So, (laughs) And there are no transitions in between. And there are 30 minutes each. And I see every class twice a week. 
So in total, I see about 42 classes a week, twice a week, which is a little insane. Um, but that's between my co-teacher and myself. Yeah. <laughs> Still, they all enter the classroom twice a week. Um, I don't normally have 10 classes a day, but it does happen at least once a week that I'm at my maximum. And it's pretty exhausting, but um, I'm used to it. And that's music. That's how that's just the music ed world. <laughs> as far as like... Um... The timing per class, is it roughly 30 minutes or 45 minutes per class? Currently, we teach them 30 minutes per class. And sometimes it's it ends up being less than that because I don't have transition times. So to uh, have 50 kids exiting and 50 entering, they oh, usually... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it usually takes me down to like 24 minutes per class. But, you know, you can get a lot done in 24 minutes. And then I see them again at the end of the week. So it works out. But that'll that's just a warning for if you see my videos. To me, they don't look chaotic, but to other people, they might because it's twice the number of kids that most people are used to seeing during an activity. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I'll share my first one here. Um, I'm finding my own hidden biases about my lessons because when I was trying to figure out what my favorites were that I did this year, for all of my little kid ones, they always start with a book. I feel like every lesson that I do with little kids just gets them more invested if there is a story at the beginning. And they, they just love to be read to, which makes me happy that kids love to be read to because they haven't lost that and it really adds a nice element to every lesson so when I can I try to involve books in their lessons and if they're short even better the first one (laughs) here is one that I found at my school's library and it is just a songbook it is the lyrics of this little light of mine we don't know the name of this character but it's really well illustrated And with each new page, he is traveling to visit either somebody in his neighborhood or his grandmother. And it's just a really cute illustration. And the kids start to pick up as I'm reading that they know this song already because a lot of kids have somehow heard this little light of mine at some point before elementary school. And they get very excited when they realize that this is a song that they already know. And if they don't already know it, then once I start singing it, so many of their classmates know it, that it's easy to pick up on and it is repetitive. So we read the story first. I don't sing it. We just read it and we observe the illustrations. And then on the next slide, I tell them, please don't sing with me, but you can mouth the words, which is something we do a lot in my classroom. Kids have a really hard time not singing along because they Mm -hmm. really like to be participating, which is great. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes they sing when they don't know the tune and it's very confusing. So I tell them, if you want to participate, you can lip sync and move your mouth, but don't make any sound. So the first time they're lip syncing and I'm singing. Then the second time around, they're allowed to sing with me. Once they're used to the turn or to the melody then we start looking at the next few verses until we have sung the entire thing 
We talk a little bit about the meaning of the words because they are not super obvious. And so Mm -hmm. I don't tell them the exact meaning. I just ask them what they think everything means. And we have a discussion about it. Um, This whole time, either I am playing guitar or piano or ukulele or my co-teacher will. It just adds a nice element to have an accompaniment instrument with it. After we have sung the whole thing, I ask them what they notice about the lyrics on the board. And usually someone says, some of the words are a different color. And I'm like, yes. (laughs) Which word is a different color? Can you read it? And they tell me, shine. And I start prepping them to add instruments at this point. This time, whenever they see, whenever a word is yellow, they snap. Uh This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Then they get used to that as a cue for an instrument. And once they're used to all of that, I introduce the instruments. This is usually across two lessons for me. I probably could do it all in one, but I usually just save it till the end so we can do something else at the beginning. It's a very nice dash and a nice touch. The shining parts with the... The, the the bit of glow from the left <laughs> and right, that would probably take me forever to figure out. I know I would <laughs> eventually figure it out, but then that's kind of cool that you you uh, incorporate that throughout that, that little animation. So and, then, and also with the book that's flipping, as simple as that looks, that would probably take me some time to figure that out. Do you just you like know, find that online and then just drag and plop that in there as you when you I probably this? spend more time than your average person making slides, but I am a very visual person. Yeah. And if I don't think it's pretty, then I don't want to use it. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. I I just enjoy making my slides and yeah, I, I spend more time on them than most people, but really they're just gifts and I've gotten very, um, quick about finding the right gifts and I save my favorite ones. So this book one, I have saved into Google Drive because I know that I use it a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's in my quick files. But yeah. Are there students quite patient when you read um, essentially lyrics to a song? I mean, and I, because I, I, I've used the same book before. Oh, I didn't good. use a, and I only used it once because I thought the kids were quite impatient as I was reading it. And I didn't use slides, which is you know, that's genius that you're using slides and I'm just, you know, reading it from the book and I'm thinking, man, am I getting bored or are they getting bored? (laughs) As I'm reading this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. And that's the part of me that's that the the childlike part is probably a bit stripped away from like my inner soul where I guess for you, it's like, uh, (laughs) it's still there (laughs) as it should be. But like, I, I, I guess the question is like, how do you make it interesting? Because <laughs> um, it's repetitive yeah. you know, lines, yeah, which is great for the youth. <laughs> I think with books in general, I find kids are way more patient and focused during a book than any other part of my lessons. Uh-huh. And I find that really interesting. I don't know what that is. And like I said, it just seems like, kids love to be read to. And when I tell them that I'm about to read a book, they're so excited. Um, This one, like you said, it is really repetitive and I'm not singing it to them. 
but I try to make it a little more interesting by focusing on the illustrations. So I don't just flip the page immediately. I ask them what they notice on each page. What do you think he's doing? Why is this lyric on this page? But definitely if I'm saying I'm going to let it shine over and over, I'll say it quickly and then move on to the next phrase. Yeah, yeah. But they like the illustrations a lot and they want to know what's going on. And when you have 50 kids, that means you have to move the book across the entire mass Mm -hmm. of children so everyone can see the book. That's definitely the important part. But you're right. This one is a little repetitive. So they probably are a little tired of it by the end. I think I've seen this video before where, I mean, you showed it to me earlier, but Mm -hmm. it's the one where uh, every time Shine hits, they would uh, uh, tap on the the triangle, right? The snap gets translated into instruments. And I use this lesson to get them acquainted with classroom instruments and how to treat them and what kind of sound they make. So the best pairing, I think, for this song is all of our metal instruments. But when I found this book in the library, I was like, hmm, shiny instruments. What shiny instruments do I have? And that became, you know, finger cymbals, triangles, jingle bells. What else did we use? Um, we'll see them in the video. I know there's another one, but yeah, anything shiny that I could find is what we are using. And on day two of teaching, we practice the song with the snaps like they've done before. Mm -hmm. But then I introduce the instruments and I show them exactly how you play each one, the right way and the wrong way. And they love to see the wrong way. Of course, it's so Mm -hmm. funny when the teacher does it wrong. But then we practice and I tell them to hold up an invisible instrument. So here's their pretend finger symbols. And we sing one verse and we pretend to play our finger symbols on the word shine. So much setup. It seems really slow, but they love the song so much that they don't care. And then finally, the final product is that we play it with the instruments. And I try to really make it last. So I'll be like, this time everyone's singing, but only the triangles get to play. This time, everyone's singing, but only the jingle bells get to play. And then on the last verse, everybody gets to play every single time. Nice. And then here's a video. It's not the whole song, but let's see. Yeah, we've got some jingle bells, triangles, there's finger symbols, and something else is in there. get the idea it looks like i had two kinds of jingle bells and that's what i was remembering (laughs) okay yeah 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 yeah. dig yeah um cool if i can um i mean you you have this uh the hill and gully rider on you already right i have Uh, my slides for it yeah that's what i mean i was gonna pull that up but since you already have it is it cool if you can uh get into that one real quick yeah absolutely cool I cannot take full credit for this lesson. I Uh observed my music teacher friend down the street doing this, and I stole some of it from her. (laughs) Not all of it. I modified some of it, but I liked the song a lot. 
And I liked that it had syncopation in it. Mm-hmm. And so I took it. <laughs> it is from Jamaica. And I like giving kids a visual of where songs are coming from. And anytime yeah. I am using a song from another place, we have a talk about what it's like there, what the song is about, if anybody has connections to that place. And at yeah. my school, it's a quite diverse population. So you have a pretty good chance that somebody in your class is connected to this place, which I love that. So yeah. it's fun for me. So we talk about Jamaica. A lot of my kids are like, I went on vacation there. And I'm like, wow, I'm jealous. <laughs> um, yeah, great. <laughs> I'm like, but are any of you uh, related to somebody who lives there? Because most of the time it's like, yeah, it was hot. And that's all they remember. But um We talk about how people actually live in Jamaica. It's not just a place where you go on vacation. People have lived in Jamaica for a long time. This song is, I know I had the history slide somewhere. I don't have it here, but it's a working song, as many um, folk songs are. Mm -hmm. But the idea was that these people were working on kind of a rough landscape. And it was kind of dangerous on the sides of cliffs and... I believe the hill and gully. Yeah. It talks about a horse stumbling down Mm -hmm. the, the terrain. And then they're all like, Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. It's a little scary. Um, But that's why they needed an uplifting song that would keep them on track, keep them focused and in a good mood. And that's our little history before it. Um, I, I like this song because it is really easy to learn and it's got two concepts. It's a call and response. So I always sing first and they sing back to me. Mm-hmm. And that's part of their standards in Virginia. And then also it has syncopation in it. And they don't need to know what syncopation means because they just catch on to it as we sing. And then yeah. I can explain it later. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Do you want me to sing it or should we save that to later? You have a video of this, right? Video. Like several videos yeah, as well? I'd like to geek out on some of your creations on YouTube and get your reaction. So uh, feel f- uh, please feel free to um, commentate as well. Uh, one of the things I like too about this is that you have a really cool intro in your uh, vi- in your videos. walk but not just any kind of walk we are going on a dance-a-thon so get your dancing shoes on i can't wait to show you my neighborhood and if you're lucky we might even run into some people you know i can't wait let's get started So, uh, how did this come about? <laughs> so, this is a quarantine lesson. Yeah. And I, there's a combination of things. 
one, I wanted my kids to still go outside and breathe fresh air because a lot of them will forget to do that if you don't remind them that you are still allowed to be outside. Yeah. Another element is that I live in an apartment complex, and like you're seeing right now, that is a teacher from my school, and there are a couple teachers in my neighborhood. So、uh-huh. I wanted to show them how they could dance from a distance with people. So if they have friends、uh-huh. in their neighborhood, they might not be able to go right up to them, but if they're far away, they can still dance together.、Nice. And the last reason is because I love. Wolfpack, and they have great <laughs> instrumental songs that are really、yeah. easy to dance to, and they're kid friendly. And I、yeah. just needed to do something with that. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And、uh, I'll, I'll get into what the class participation is like in a bit, and what how you、uh, how that was like. But before we get into that,、yes. um, uh, here's this.、Uh, Next one too, which I find really awesome too, because、uh, and I'd like to discuss about、uh, software that you use to like create these videos as、okay. well. So there's、uh, this one. Pattern B. Pattern C. Pattern D. So,、uh, well, how did this come about? As well, <laughs> pretty sure it's definitely because of the quarantine, but just like,、uh, oh yeah. yeah. Um, this song is something that my kids have shown me before during、oh, okay. the school year, <laughs> yeah. And I forgot about it until it came up as a suggested video or something on YouTube, and I was、yeah. like showing it to somebody and listening to it, and I was like, wait a second. This is really、um, catchy, and I feel like I could do something with this. And I think it always helps to do a song that kids like and relate to and have heard before.、Um, so basically, that was a grab for me. Like, how can I get them involved from home? Do a song that they like, something funny. Then the other part of it is that we are all at home, and I didn't bring any instruments home. From school, but even if I did, my kids don't have classroom instruments in their houses. Yeah. So I、mm-hmm. wanted to do an activity that uses everyday objects, and I've been trying really hard to do that this whole time, just so it's accessible to everybody. I kind of it. It's definitely inspired by bucket drumming, which is popular, but now、uh. we've just converted it to box drumming, and it. It achieves the same thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and、uh, it's cool that with, in your case, with the,、uh, um, with that Keurig、uh, box, at least you have like some, you know, spots that you can hit that can、yes. serve as a hi hat in a way. Like, so,、uh, what was the,、uh, how was the participation from your <laughs> end <laughs> with、uh, these lessons? <laughs> 
I wish I could quantify it. I actually have no idea how many of my kids are actually doing my lessons. And I know it's not very many. And that's fine. I have 1,000 kids in my school. And per week, I probably heard from two of them. Yeah. You know, it's not the greatest feeling, but it it filled me with joy whenever I did get some kind of response from my kids. And I know that a lot of them are probably doing it and just not telling me, but it is definitely delightful when I actually get a video. But yeah. basically, all my videos are sent in a hyperdoc out to everybody in the whole school. Um, so it's optional and yeah. they can do it if they want or not. I don't know if they're doing it, but it kept me busy in quarantine anyway. So, yeah, you know, win-win. <laughs> yeah, we used the Seesaw system where the Seesaw, um, uh, at least lower school used Seesaw. And, um, you know, when we gave um, assignments, you can check on who did it or who didn't. And I think... That's nice. In, it, it is. And the, the, the first... Um, soap and water video it was like 90 videos the second mm -hmm. one was you know it was better participation so it was 200 but like hey that's really th good yeah <laughs> it was that, that was insane what software do you use for music notation interactive lessons audio and video editing <laughs> um i feel like this will be shocking and i should probably be investing in something nicer but to go back to what I said a long time ago, yeah. I'm the cheapest person in the world. And if I don't have to pay for something, I don't. And so I do all of my notation. I, I don't have to do notation very often. So for these projects, I'm just using NoteFlight to do the notations. Cool. And it it has a lot of features. So I don't need anything fancier than NoteFlight. And purely just saving it from there, taking screenshots of what I need from there. And then of the two videos that you shared, I did not have to use anything fancier than iMovie. And in fact, I was using an old version of iMovie yeah. to make it. Um, because for those two videos especially, there's nothing fancy going on. So just using the picture-in-picture -picture tool is magical. And yeah. you just have to get it timed right. Besides that, it's pretty simple. I don't own Apple products just because... I've always used other things, and yeah. I know as an artist, that's really uncommon, but I don't own them. My boyfriend is actually a professional film editor, um, <laughs> but cool. he does yeah. not help me with these projects. Um, he does help me occasionally if I can't get my like lighting right, but he's kind of left me yeah. on his own. But he does have an abundance of like MacBook and recording software and stuff so i can use his old film laptop to do what i need to do but in the future if we're still virtual in august and september i i'm gonna buy my own but i've never needed to until this point so um in, two, in November 2018, we both participated at the Virginia Music Educators Conference. It was there where I first heard of the name Artie Almeida, and it was actually you who uh, cued me into who she was. Um, Artie presented several sessions that year, and I am so glad that I got to take part of her percussion parade workshop. Um, I like to start out, start our 
RDL Media Geek Fest with how you discovered this amazing general music guru. So how did you discover her? <laughs> I don't know if I can pinpoint the exact moment, but I definitely had seen some of her resources before. I think she's most well-known for Mallet Madness. That mm-hmm. one sells like crazy. Um, and I had those books. Who knows where I got them? But I had Mallet Madness, but I'd never put the the name to those books before. Um, uh-huh. But her lessons pop up a lot if you are searching for any music ed resources. Um, I know I did a cup routine to the syncopated clock, and that one is from mm-hmm. her. And I I just seen her around, but she also is just very active in responding to people. And so if you ever tag her on Facebook, she will respond to you. And I liked that about her, that she is still close enough with her community that she still responds to them and wants to help. But VMEA is definitely when it was set in stone for me that I am obsessed with her because I already knew I liked her resources, but her presence is amazing. So I just adore her. You know, what's nice about her too is that I think she taught in Florida, but she taught on her own about 50 kids at a time or something like that. Yeah. So a lot of her lessons are really useful for me because I have large class sizes, although Mm -hmm. she was doing it on her own. So who knows how she did that? (laughs) I really tried to uh, get... Uh, get her to interview with me and it, the, the, oh, yeah. the the like the responses I had after um, trying to I think it was like months and <laughs> she didn't respond to a message oh, yeah. but like she did say I'll, I'll read what she she put down um, she's like yeah sorry I missed this two sick cats and I'm buried in uh, shifting through uh, 10 years of Artie and Denise symposium videos for this year's online Cut. I like that she um she mentioned her two sick cats. That's like the personality that I'm talking about. She's just <laughs> she's very human. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this first one I'm going to share you is uh this winter concert of the oh, kids yay. doing uh Quadra Boom. conference that we uh saw what i like about that one and i remember thinking this at the conference too is that it sounds so much like a bass drum warm-up like a a drum line high school drum line bass warm-up which is what i played in high school so when i saw her doing that with fifth graders i was like what this literally sounds like actual bass drums (laughs) I know after that session, that's when I started like buying any resource from her, like yep. either the instruments or the parachutes or the or the books. Yes. But uh, so this one right here, and I'm gonna briefly share each one. This was at for uh, what was it? It was through the Odyssey, Odyssey Junior deal. But this is like what she was talking about with the plates, where when she had it in performance mode, that she had it lined up. I was like, let me give this a shot. So I love the plate.
Yeah, so there's that one. <laughs> and there's also, let's see. Um, you get into the kid sticks, right? The kid, the, the kid I sticks. I have done um, a little bit of that. I, I, yeah, I own the book for that one. So I, I just got into that one and just asked for those number 10 cans and the felts and all that stuff. So See, I don't even use the materials and it's not really the same, I guess, without the actual materials she uses, but I just modify them and use classroom instruments and the rhythms that she has in there. So what did you um, substitute? Because I'm sure it's definitely rhythm sticks and then you have the tambourine. So what did you substitute um, as your crash can? Um, it, I guess it depends on the song. The one that I can think of off the top of my head is the my kids really like Wizards in Winter, um, <laughs> which we always do that one around Christmas time because there's the video of the house with the lights that are set to the Wizards in Winter song. Uh-huh. We watch that before we start. But um, I believe for that, I just took the score from it and assigned specific instruments to different measures of it. Yeah. And kind of just passed over what she actually meant it to be. But <laughs> that's part of the reason why I like her a lot. She has really simple kid-friendly scores. And a lot of the time I just use those instead of coming up with my own. <laughs> nice. And uh, so this, this one's from, um, again, kid sticks and it's, it's the Bach one. And this is the kindergartners doing this song. Yeah. I think really for her... I don't always take the exact lessons, but I've just taken concepts yeah. from her because, like I said before, she taught in, in, in an environment similar to mine where she had a lot of kids. And I appreciate that her lessons are built for large groups. And that often means that there aren't too many materials that you have to prepare yeah. or the materials are cheap like the paper plates yeah because that is something that i can give to every single kid they can ruin them and i can throw them away and it only cost me two dollars <laughs> to buy more <laughs> um nice. she also has a lot of management strategies for big groups one of the things i loved is that she did something with hoop groups and it just made so much sense to me to put instruments inside a hula hoop as a station. Yeah. And when you don't want your kids to touch the instruments, you just tell them to put it in the hoop and it has a visual barrier. And if you want them to switch stations, they're just going to the next hula hoop group. Yeah. And it's things like that, that just blow my mind where I'm like, why didn't I think of something like that? It makes managing 50 kids so much easier. Yeah, those are the big ones. I yeah. use her cup routines, scarf routines, because scarves are always fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw an Instagram story of, it was like you and uh, uh, the principal, yeah. you were doing, was it, um, 
belly up. I might be able to find that one. Yes. It's the, yeah, syncopated clock is that one. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. They always make the tongue clicking sounds. You cannot stop them (laughs) from the tongue clicking. (laughs) I wonder, I might be able to just find that one on my Instagram. (laughs) Oh, here we go. Yeah, I can share at least the beginning of this one because I think my principal was just um, popping in that day. And I was like, wow, you chose a great day to pop in. We are throwing scarves in the air, which means craziness is about to ensue. But... But this one, too, is that my kids were learning form without even realizing it. You don't give them the scarves at the beginning. You just get used to the song and the different sections of the song. And then they're using their ear to figure out what motion they're supposed to do with their scarves. And I don't even have to explain what form is for them to do that. Absolutely. Yeah, she's yeah. And I do love her charts too, you know, like there she has great presentations that she shares. And uh, the best part of this activity is that when the alarm clock goes off, they throw the mm-hmm. scarves up in the air. And yeah. you'd think that you just gave them $50,000 when you tell them that they can throw scarves up in the air. <laughs> what I love about the, the um, syncopated clock one is um, the music that she chooses after it it's a slow soothing song to have them fold up their you know their uh scarves and carefully fold it up because you know they're oh, already yeah. in a huge adrenaline rush it's like all right let's calm down right yes. now so, instead of going that's like the- also what i mean about managing large groups because i cannot personally fold 50 scarves between classes yeah. But she yeah. has it built right in there and they just do it on their own. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, I mean, other lessons, and I, I won't share everything, but like the, the ones that I that I, I know I did before this pandemic happened was like, <laughs> I, I always had the hardest time teaching jazz. I mean, you could do your usual YouTube videos and all, but like, you know, at that age, it's like she makes it fun. And, you know, the Artie's Jazz Pack is really solid. And um, have you tried this one yet? I have not done the jazz one. So I'm curious what you say it's, about it. It's cool because um, she already gives you a bunch of the that you can laminate a bunch of these cards for the jazz styles doll and it's very much like a listening activity where it's like oh here's a blues and then you know a a narrator will say each style first and then after that the student has to assimilate what the style is so that's one of them and the other one is uh teaching them just to instruments which is kind of cool so you can just get a clothespin and just go to each instrument oh i like that 
And uh, it's kind of cool because this says uh, in the back it's the same thing, but it says this side teach is, uh, oh, is towards funny. teacher, so you can actually you don't have to do this all the time. You can just go to each one. But yeah, one great. one part that I like about this is um, she has even though it's technically the same instrument, she does showcase the difference between, you know, this is the upright bass versus the electric bass, or, you know, this is the um, piano versus the um, keyboard. And usually, you know, it, it absolutely helps out because, you know, the, the keyboard will be like some type of dinner. You know what? Uh, uh, a student was like, oh, yeah, it's like dinner music that you would hear because it's like kind of like smooth jazzy-ish oh. with um, that type of synth vibe versus like an actual piano. And um, uh, I guess the other one, too, would be it's still, uh, of course, I like the parachute one, the, oh, the yeah. um, parachute ribbon scarves more. I think that's the one you suggest. But then I also like got. You know, I, I like the novelty item, so I totally got the timber <laughs> hammer. Oh, yes. <laughs> and uh, she was like, you should just get this blow-up hammer or something like that. And, like, I was like, all right. That's amazing. So um, just a, a few more questions. Um, so kind of deep right here where um, what do you see as the biggest challenge for elementary music teachers as schools reopen post-COVID? Music teachers or teachers in general? Music teachers, yeah. Okay. Or elementary music teachers, yes. I should say, yes. I think, at least from what I am reading and kind of the very slim information we've gotten from our county so far, it is looking like a lot of us will not be able to use our classrooms. And that already is a setback. Yeah. But music teachers are adaptable, so that's not the worst thing you can throw at them. But what's going to be really tough is that we are like the germiest room ever because yeah. not only <laughs> do we <laughs> share every instrument, so mm-hmm. that's a billion little hands touching instruments, but also we do dances, which means that you are touching other classmates And you also are singing in groups and you spread germs by group singing. So kind of everything that is the basic structure of elementary music is a germ spreader because we've got shared materials, partner dances, and group singing. And now we also probably don't have our classrooms. So that takes away the most core parts of our curriculum. So I think the hardest thing is going to be figuring out lessons that you can do independently without too much contact between children. Yeah. And that takes away a lot of our most basic lessons. So that'll be really tough. Uh, Will you address the Black Lives Matter movement through music within your elementary curriculum? And if so, how? I I have been thinking about this a lot because Mm -hmm. this is a movement that has always been important to me, but I know that I have not done enough with my students and Mm -hmm. I absolutely want to. I feel like I've always enjoyed showing them different cultures and telling them the backgrounds of these, but I haven't been doing it as pointedly as I could be. And when it comes to this movement, I... I know, and my students should know, 
I wouldn't be able to teach what I teach without the contributions of Black Americans because so much of our music comes from the history of Black America and actually like most of it does. And, and that is something that should absolutely be highlighted in our classrooms and our kids need to know that. And I, I've put my mind to it. I know that I'm going to talk to them about it for sure and get more in depth about it than I ever have. But also when we can have assemblies again, I can see myself doing a lift every voice and sing kind of assembly. Like Mm -hmm. these are the contributions of different genres, dances, styles that we wouldn't have without black America. And yeah, I, I'm so inspired by this movement because I'm someone who cares a lot about social justice and it's, I've ignored it in my classroom a little too long. I think it just hasn't Mm -hmm. gotten the attention that it deserves. Right on. Um, so thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. Take care of yourself. Thank you so much. You too. Cool. Take care. Bye. Bye. My thanks to Bethany Johnson for the fun interview and share session. You can check out Bethany's music lesson videos on her YouTube channel, Miss General Music. On the next Music Ed, my guest will be John Jacobson, a music educator who has written, composed, and choreographed musicals and choral works that have been performed by millions worldwide. My thanks to Bethany Johnson again for the conversation and innovative music lessons. I'm Samson Trin. Thank you for listening to Music Ed.